Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Welcome to Whining About History, where two sweary motherfuckers whine about women from history you probably haven't heard of. I'm Emily, and I identify as a vagabond. And I'm Kelly, and I also identify as a vagabond. How odd. I love it. I do too. <laughs> That's why we're friends, because we're both a couple of sweary motherfucking vagabonds who whine a lot. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's, so, how we, that's how we met. <laughs> we got another amazing series of emails, actually, from Mama Meg from Australia. Uh, we mentioned her, I think, a couple of, be- couple of episodes ago or last episode. I think it was maybe two. I don't know. Time means nothing. But anyway, uh, she sent us a video of her son saying they said a bad one and he's so cute because he has an Australian accent oh my god and uh then she sent the reaction of her daughters hearing us reference her original email because because we said we wanted to see it yeah mama meg's amazing oh my god your daughters are also adorable i i died I died and I went to heaven and this is what it is right now. (laughs) It made us both very happy. Oh, we love you so much, Mama Meg. I actually talked to a guy today with an Australian accent and I was like this close to being like, do you know Mama Meg? But not all Australians know each other. So (laughs) I didn't. We also enjoyed your tree picture. Yes. Yes. It's gorgeous. It is. I also like at first I was like. Is she talking about tree vaginas? Because we talk about tree vaginas pretty regularly. Quite often. So I was like, it's like a twofer because like, what a beautiful scene that I want to see. But also tree vag. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm freaking out. I'm just, I'm like going to watch that whenever I feel down. It's so cute. Like, man, today really sucked. They said a bad one. They said a bad one. Right. Done. Not in a I'm creepy fine. way, just yeah. because it makes us smile. I'm yeah. So thank just... you, Mama Meg and family. And also, can I just say, so she addressed her most recent email to us as the V's for vagabonds. Yeah, because her I... first email said hi vagabonds, and yeah. then yeah, she just said hi V's. Yeah, <laughs> like, so I love it. I'm like yes, yeah. Like I am so accepting of that title. Thank you for bestowing it upon us. This is like being knighted right now. Right. Like Meg has christened us the vagabonds of podcasting and I am here for it. So here for it. I think that might need to be merch. Yeah. I love it. The whining vagabonds. The what? Oh my God. That's our band name. (laughs) The whining vagabonds. Done. Copywritten. We have a cult. We have a band. Yeah. We have a a girl gang. Yes. We're, we're getting organized. We're that is the key everything. to success. Getting organized. That's what the birds did. And they <laughs> fucked some shit up. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> so today, Emily gave blood. And my husband's sick, so I'm trying to avoid being sick. So neither of us are going to be drinking a ton. So I'm just drinking, I think, what was from... Last week? last again last episode or the episode yeah. before it's the Wellfleet Chardonnay that has a, the picture of a pearl on it and I'll, I'll still read the back just in case you haven't watched that episode but it says like a rare pearl plucked from the ocean our Wellfleet Chardonnay emits a lustrous opulence with notes of golden apple white peach and tart citrus pairs effortlessly la, la, la. <laughs> pairs effortlessly with oysters on the half shell and days spent where the shallows meet the shore that's right and then we went on to talk about martha's vineyard yeah and how we're we're gonna get a house there and we're gonna run off together and just get day drunk at our beach house yeah and we're gonna share a sugar daddy yeah 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 we, so this is a well fleet chardonnay i mean 
Mama Meg, you know any sugar daddies that live in Australia? <laughs> you guys have nice beaches, I hear. Like you're surrounded by beaches. Can we come visit? Yeah. <laughs> Once COVID's over, because that shit sucks. Yes. All right. Well, yeah, I'm I'm jamming out to some orange juice that I got from the the blood donor center, because <laughs> I'm I feel like okay, but a little weak. Because I I literally I donate blood like maybe. 30 minutes before coming over here. I'm like, yeah, I don't think drinking a bunch of wine is going to end well for me. <laughs> I also, my allergies are still kicking my ass and my voice sounds like crap. I caved. It's a little better. It's a little better. Well, I caved and blah. It's, you know what? I feel like I screw up talking the most when I'm sober. I don't, really I don't understand it. Because your you, your body knows you have no excuse, and they're just like, I'm gonna make you look like a fucking idiot. It's like when you walk every day without tripping or falling, but the second you need to walk down the aisle or at graduation or at some important event, that's when your body is like, it's time, bitch. Remember all those days that you didn't eat chocolate or took me to the gym? Like, fuck it, I'm coming back for you. <laughs> that's but funny. I finally caved and bought some Claritin. Who is not sponsoring this episode, I will add. Bitches. Uh, and so I took some of that last night because I haven't slept well the past couple of nights because I've just been like feeling really run down. And I'm like, well, maybe some Claritin will like finally help loosen all of the crud that's plugged up in my face. Yeah, that sounds pleasant. Yeah, it's it's nasty. super attractive. It's you know, what's weird. I uh, whenever I start feeling really stuffed up and if I like have a sinus headache, I close my eyes and I envision a syringe sticking into my forehead and drawing out a bunch of fluid. And that actually makes I mean, it feel your sinuses better. are like under your eyes. But it, OK, I love that's the issue you have <laughs> with my visualization. Emily, you're, in not, the wrong spot. you are not sticking that imaginary syringe in the correct area. But the pressure's right here, Kelly. So it needs to go in my forehead. I don't know why this is so hard for you to understand. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So I think we know what to cheers to. Cheers to Mama Meg and her lovely family. Yeah, cheers. cheers. Good clink. I've already been sipping on my wine. Orange juice is so good. I, too, I can't drink it anymore. It's too acidic. It makes oh, my stomach hurt. Oh, yeah. I get that. I actually, I bought some, I treated myself and bought myself some like Welch's sparkling grape juice and started making um, virgin cup M- mocktails. Mimosas. Well, I actually haven't done the mimosa yet. I bought cranberry juice for like a little mocktail. Yeah, and uh, so Jared and I last weekend... We're watching Save it, Saving Private Ryan, which is just like the feel-good movie of the century. Super fun watch. It fucking said Like, it's a great movie. I'm over I here like, what the fuck are it. you talking about, Emily? Like, <laughs> are we talking about the same Private Ryan, Saving Private Ryan? Because I remember that movie being depressing as yeah, shit. My, my dry humor is extra dry when my voice is garbage. <laughs> but it, I mean, it was a good movie. Jared wanted to watch it. And it was not the every now and then he like gravitates like where he just really Toward wants to watch a war uh, film yeah. i get yeah. it yeah so i watched um enemy at the gates with him one time and then uh i think it's men of honor with cuba gooding jr about the first black navy yeah, like so. all-star diver or whatever that was good too um but these are not movies i gravitate towards because i am never ever in the mood to like 
feel sad about things. Right, like, I don't want to watch a bunch of people die. Well, and I engage in those feelings plenty on my own, whether it's just, like, my resting state of being or doing research where horrible things happen to amazing people. I'm like, no, this is my downtime. I don't want to cry. And yet, there I was. So I was, like, sipping on my mocktail to drown my sorrows. I like that you weren't using, like... An actual cocktail. I tried, actually. I had some wine left over, but uh, I, I like took a quick sip. I was like, this has been in the fridge too long. So then I went to my mocktail. I'm like, this movie requires wine. Shit. <laughs> Shit, I don't have this any. This movie Take requires two. pretend wine. <laughs> oh, my God. So, Kelly, am I going first today no i believe i am oh you are perfect good because i don't want to go first i'm not in the mood (laughs) first is worse man no it's not (laughs) not when you're first next (laughs) next week's episode first is worst yeah and then it's you yeah exactly i accept it i own it no one can make me feel bad if i am accepting of being the worst (laughs) so i'm covering manuela cyan today i love that name Yes, it's very accented. <laughs> accented? Well, because there's a, whatever it's called. The accent mark. The accent over the U in her first name and then over the A in her last name. Yeah. So Manuela was born in Quito, the um, which I never looked up where it was. Hold on. Quito, Ecuador. Q-U-I-T-O. Yeah. Yeah, that's the capital of Ecuador. And I know that because, what was it? freshman year of high school we had to learn all of the capitals and countries of south america and there was a song that they taught us to learn it and it was literally it was um oh god caracas venezuela bogota colombia quito ecuador lima peru la paz bolivia montevideo uruguay I, i think there's more but but basically you say yeah the first thing like five times and then you say the first thing and then the second thing five times it like just keeps going and it worked obviously because I'm 30 fucking years old and I can still remember all of it that's great and the tune it like I'm I'm gonna be old my mind is and going to be <laughs> completely gone I'm gonna be like in the nursing home and I'm just gonna be going Quito, Ecuador. Yeah, right? <laughs> and they're all gonna be like this bitch is crazy. <laughs> this is the whitest bitch I've ever seen, and she will She's not shut up about South, South America. America. <laughs> All right. So she was born in Quito, Ecuador, the illegitimate child of Maria as Peru, and who was Ecuadorian, and a Spanish nobleman ma- named Simon Sayan. I'm and- Wait, wait. Simon Sayan? Yeah. Shut the fuck that is not a real name. No, it is. That is not Sorry, a real it, I name. I guess it might be Simone because it has the accent over the. No, L. his name is Simon Sayan. Oh, with. I'm sorry. What Simon Sayan? <laughs> Simon Sayan. That's not his kid. <laughs> no, it is. But he's saying it's not because he sucks. So this was in uh, 1797. So this is very much you know when having a child out of wedlock is still very much a large large deal yeah like that child's life is ruined because society's a bunch of dick bags yeah basically so her mother was abandoned by her family as a result of getting pregnant out of wedlock and young Manuelita as her mother called oh her oh my god I know 
um, went to school at the con- at a convent. Shocker. Again, that happens a lot to um, children born out of wedlock. Well, it's it's one of those things where it's like no one's actually going to want you. You can't be a respectable person. So the very least you can do is dedicate your life to God. Right. Like be of some use to society and like pray all day. Yeah. That'll solve know. all of our problems. Um, so she, she was sent to a convent school named Santa Catalina where she learned to read and write. Like that is the one like really good thing about a lot of convent schools is they taught you how to read and write. Yeah. Because well, you need to read the Bible. I, I assume the father was a nobleman, but I'm kind of getting the vibe that the mother was probably not of a high status. They so said that might have been the only way she could A modest family. Okay. Because well, I, I think thinking, like middle, lower class. I was thinking like uh, maybe that's how the only way she could get an education. Oh, it's, it's possible. Um, so eventually Manuela was forced to leave the convent at the age of 17, not because she was getting old, but because it was discovered that she had been, either she had been seduced or she had seduced history, who knows, um, by an army officer named Fausto Deluyar. I, th- I so thought basically they found out she really wasn't, stupid. you know, pure and they were like, you got to leave. I'm sorry, the 17-year-old girl is, like, crushing on someone. That is obscene. We cannot have that 17-year-olds should not feel romantic or sexual feelings for anyone or at any time. Exactly. So after that, for several years, she actually went to live with her father, which actually, like, that shocks me because, like, he was a nobleman. Yeah. But, I mean, clearly he must have at least, like, acknowledged her. Simon was saying goodbye, and now he's saying... Welcome. Well, I know. Bienvenidos. Bienvenidos. (laughs) Uh, So she went to live with her father um, where she liked to miss church and avoid polite society in favor of riding horses and shooting pistols with her family's black servant named Jonatas, who became her like lifelong best friend. Like, so basically she like went to live with her father, but then she's like, no, I don't want to do any of your noble shit. This is sounding like the framework of a Disney movie where it's like, Actually, this is like brave. Mine is, you know, with a convent because Merida was all you have to be like a proper young lady and get married and everything. She's like, but I just want to ride horses and climb cliffs and shoot arrows. Right. And hang out with bears and blue lights in the woods. (laughs) You know, so when within a few years when she was 20, I'm guessing her father had had enough of her antics because she (laughs) he arranged for her to marry a wealthy Englishman named James Thorne, who was twice her age. So he would have been 40. That's gross, but that's a great last name. Thorn? Yeah. I would would marry him, take the name, and then divorce him. Bye. I'd keep the name. Um, So the couple moved to Lima, Peru, where because of his standing as a wealthy merchant, she basically lived as an aristocrat. She did kind of do the aristocrat thing a little bit when they moved and she held social gatherings. But a lot of her guests included political leaders and military officers. Were they hot? Were they DTF? Potentially. (laughs) But what was interesting is these guests started sharing military secrets about the ongoing revolution with her because this is during like the really big South American revolution that was going on. Oh yeah, I know all about that because American education has it's taught fantastic. me so well. I barely understand our own revolution. Like I feel like it's one of those things where so much of what I know is probably a myth. 
Right. So within a few years and like hanging out with all these military people, she had joined the rebels in, you know, what would be the fight for liberation. Oh my God. She's a rebel princess. It was, and I love it. It was, um, a lot of South America at the time was owned by the Spanish. Yeah. So it's them wanting to be liberated from the Spanish. Well, we talked a little bit about that with, uh, Isabel Godin mm-hmm. where like it was the Spanish and the French and yeah. they weren't getting along and basically, Meow. uh, so in 1819, a man named, Simone Bolivar um, basically came and, like, liberated, conquered, you know, depends whatever you... Exactly, you depending ask. on who you ask. <laughs> um, but he, like, kind of, like, swept through parts of South America and, like, liberated them. Um, at the time, he, like, so they call it the, the liberation of New Granada. Okay. Um. So by this time, Manuela was an active member in the conspiracy um, against the Viceroy in Peru. So, like, she was active in this, trying to get the Peruvian Viceroy off the throne. So, you know, she ended up kind not necessarily crossing paths at this point, but, like, they were running in similar circles yeah. in trying to liberate Peru. Yeah, so, like, she had her own brand of liberation fuckery, and he had his own. Exactly. And yeah. So interesting things that happened during her time with the rebels is at one point she rode with the army um, 950 miles through the mountains. This is a trek that saw 700 people die or desert. Oh. But she was I fine. Don't like those numbers. Um, she was at the Battle of Ayacucho, which is uh, one of the most important battles in the War of Independence for Peru. Like, And that's a claim that Simone can't even make like, because he wasn't there. So, like, she was there. She was an active yeah. participant. Um, and as proof that she had been there, this is more creepy than cool. Oh. Um, she carried around a mustache that she had taken off a dead enemy. And she would often wear this disembodied mustache to masquerade balls, which made people not super like her. Shut I'm um, I'm okay. Another thing that made people a little <laughs> leery of her is that she liked to keep a pet bear. This is brave. Yeah, right. She's hanging with bears. Okay, can I just say when you when you were saying like her proof of being there, I'm thinking like she carry around like the heads of her enemies. No, she didn't Somehow, scalp people. She just shaved someone's mustache and made like a fake mustache out of oh, it. Oh, see, I was imagining she like scalped the lip. Maybe I guess she could have. Yeah, because otherwise I feel like it's just hair. You know, it just comes off. Yeah, I suppose she would have. I probably had to, like, cut the whole lip off to keep it. Yeah. <sighs> hey, for anyone that knows how to properly scalp I someone's mustache. I just think mustache, it's interesting that she, like, would wear it to masquerade balls. Dude, that is actually more horrifying than someone carrying around a bunch of heads. Because I can, I I feel like that's a like, common sh- enough shrunk, thing. Shrunken heads are, like, somewhat tasteful or at least interesting. A disembodied, like, must, upper lip and mustache is just creepy yeah, as fuck. Yeah, that's... That's fucking nasty, and I love it. I know, right? <laughs> so in 1822, um, Manuela would go on to leave her husband and travel to Quito. It's like, so she went back home, and, you know, obviously, because at this point, Ecuador was kind of starting their revolution. Yeah. Um, and at a ball there, she met Simone. So the guy that was conquering. Not her dad. Conquering, liberating. Yeah, yeah, the other, the other guy. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, I did. I literally just made the connection that her dad was also like, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, um, so she met Simone, and they 
eventually became romantically involved. He dug a lady with a mustache. Basically, she became one of his mistresses. And yes, I say one of. That comes up. Yeah. Um, they would go on to exchange love letters with him because obviously he was conquering. Yeah, um, he was off doing stuff. Exactly. Yeah, and, she, he was busy. and I mean, she was doing her own thing. Well, she was off riding her bear and scalping mustaches. Yeah, exactly. Um, but she would often visit him as he moved from country to country, like doing the things he was doing. Simone referred to her, her as La Am- Amable or the Dear Mad Woman or My Gentle Crazy Woman. The dear mad woman, my gentle crazy woman. I feel I like this is how it. Justin probably describes me to people. Oh, I hope that's how Jared describes um, me to people. Right? Can I also just say, like, that is so healthy for a relationship that they all both have their own interests and can like be happy independently and then come together and like share. And in I'm their really happiness. glad me and Justin can do that because yeah. like with me working being in grad school and having this podcast like I literally told him when grad school started I'm like I'm not gonna have a lot of time for you and I'm sorry and he's like no this is like what you have to do and I'm like I can give up something like I'm like I can't stop working but I'm like if you want me to give up the podcast because I'm not gonna have any time and I I would I would understand he's like he's like no you really like doing the podcast like we'll find time to be together and I'm like can we take a break for like two years while I do my schooling and then we're just gonna go at it like rabbits Right, exactly. We'll be fine. Yeah. You'll get what's coming to you, don't we worry. We are on a break! <laughs> Not that kind of break. No. So, um, she quickly became, like, his favorite mistress. And, I mean, she seems like she would be a ton of fun, so I totally oh, yeah. get it. I bet I bet there's, like, a cute montage of them having a date, and she teaches him how to ride her bear. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it, it's said that there's a good chance that she... Also probably had other lovers. Yeah. You know, but her and Simone were very much like, you know, they had each other's backs. They were kind of like their main squeezes. Right. And she would get a little annoyed with him because he tended to leave her with her husband when he would go off like conquesting. Um, You know, but and so she was just kind of like, really? Like, but like, where else would you dump her? So like, it, it was just, it was kind of a weird I was like, why doesn't she go on. off and do something else then? Well, and she might have, yeah. but it was just kind of like, that's where he would like drop her drop off. her off. And then, you know, can you, can you actually drop me off like a block before my house? Cause right. it's I don't very, want to be seen with it's you. so embarrassing getting dropped off. Like, right. Just let him think I'm wandering in. Mom. Yeah, exactly. So, um, she supported the revolution in Peru. No, we're not in Peru anymore. We're back in Ecuador. So she was supporting this revolution by gathering information, distributing leaflets, protesting for women's rights. Um, she was one of the most prominent female figures in the wars for independence. So not just in Ecuador, but in Peru. Like, basically any country yeah. she went to, she was one of the most prominent women. It's really hard to ignore a woman wearing a mustache riding a bear. <laughs> I like that. I never said she rode the bear, just that she had a pet bear. No, and it has now become rode, that she rode, she rode the, bear. the bear. Like you don't have a bear and not ride it. Um, she would actually go on to receive the Order of the Sun, um, which is now called the Order of the Sun of Peru, which is per, uh, Peru's highest award bestowed um, to notable c- civil and merchant or military people. So basically like they were like, you were so good at, you know, supporting us and gathering intel because she was apparently really good at that, that they gave her the Order of the Sun once the revolution was over. 
Um, so in public, she would often wear a colonel's uniform, which she was a general. I don't know if she ever made it to the rank of oh my colonel, God. but that's what she would wear in public quite often. You know, pants. How well, dare it probably she? had pockets. Well, she needs it for her mustache. Exactly. Um, she would she would quite often, if not always, be accompanied by her two black servants, uh, Jonatas, who we met, who has who been is, with her since she was a okay, kid. That's like her bestie. Yep. And Nathan or Nathan. I don't know how you pronounce it. I'm sorry. Like, don't. Um, it's Nathan. <laughs> and they would also they would also wear soldiers' uniforms. So, like, you know, that was their like thing. They were soldiers. The revolution don't start till I walk in. <laughs> right, exactly. So during the first few months of 1825, um, and then again in 1826, she would li- she lived with um, Simone near Lima, Peru. But as the war continued, he would obviously leave, and eventually they ended up in Bogota together. Bogota, so like, Colombia. Exactly. You're hitting all of the cities. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense that he was in the capitals, though. Yeah. Um, and although she was not officially credited in her lifetime, and she he never directly credited for her, it is said that she saved Simone's life at least twice. The first time was at a masquerade ball, to which she hadn't been invited. Party crasher. I mean, because, you know, the mustache probably creeps people out. But so she she caught wind because, you know, obviously she's an intelligence gatherer. So she caught wind that Simone's life was in danger and that he was going to be assassinated at this party. So she's like, all right, I got to go. Yeah. And crash this masquerade yep. ball. The so bear is my plus one. He's she dressed boyfriend. up in male military garb. Um, and as Rejected Princesses said, Morbid facial hair, presumably in place. God damn it, yes. I love the way the guy from Rejected Princesses writes. Oh, he's very tongue-in-cheek, and Um, it makes me so happy. But, like, so she dressed up, and she went, and basically she made a big, you know, because there was a guest list, so, like, they wouldn't let her in, so she made, like, a huge deal. Did she pull a Karen? Yeah, she basically pulled a Karen. She, She made this huge deal that she wasn't allowed in until eventually Simone took her home. But that got him out of harm's way. Right. But right. he never, he was like, he was very much like, uh, are you sure someone is going to like commit on my life or were you just making a scene? And this also, you know, she, she obviously. <laughs> That's like such an extreme version of the conversation know, right? every couple has where it's like, okay, are your intentions about this like serious or were you just like being a little dramatic? Are you a little bit jelly? Are you a little bit jelly? Are you being a little much right now? Right. So, like, and obviously this also made her reputation a little bit worse. And with the whole mustache and bear thing, she didn't have the greatest reputation to begin with. So that kind of sucked. Which is weird because I love all of it. I know, right? I would have been her best friend. Yeah. Um, so in 1828, um, she found out about another attempt on his life. This one was a little bit different. Basically, a bunch of officers wanted to assassinate Simone. Um, and they were woken up by the sound of fighting. And of course, his first instinct was like, people are here to kill me or, you know, I hear noises. Let me go investigate. Like, I'll deal with them. And in my tight little panties in my bra. I'm talking about him, not her. No, I know. But it's like every horror movie trope. Oh, exactly. Like, Let me put on my sexiest panties well, I mean, and go he, investigate. You know, he's a military man, so I'm sure he's just like, I'll go, you know. Yeah, he, he's running towards the danger. Exactly. So Manuela basically had to like, who was there? Because, you know. Favorite mystic, favorite mistress. Um, so basically, like she was like, no, 
Like, don't go confront them. They're here to kill you, probably. Like, leave through the window. I'll deal with them. It'll be fine. You babe, know. babe, babe, I know you want to go confront the murderers, but you need to listen to me right now. You go out the window. I will take care of this. Okay? Okay, I, I know. I know. Shh, 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 shh. Go out Just the window. Go. <laughs> go out the window. Right. Okay, so she eventually convinced him, and, like, so they came in, and they were like, where's Simone? And he's, he, she's like, I don't know. And they're like, why is the bed warm? And she's like, because I'm waiting for him. And she's they're like, why is the window open? And she's like, because I heard a commotion. Because obviously, like, they had guards and, like, house staff, and these yeah. people were, like, break. And basically, she just, like, played the dumb, like, I'm a woman. Hee, hee, hee. I'm a woman. What are pockets? Um, <laughs> And so she actually, like, was like, oh, he he must be in the drawing room. And they were like, well, where's the drawing room? So then she, like, w- brought them around the house and pretended to get lost. And, like, at one point she stopped to help, like, a wounded guy that they had stabbed. Jesus Christ. Um, eventually they just got, like, sick of it. And potentially slight trigger warning. But they they beat her with the flats of her their oh. swords to the point, like, and she taunted them doing it. Like, she, she according to some sources, she was like, you know, Go ahead, kill me, kill a woman, you know, like be a man. Ooh, big you know. man. She's ma- she's shaming their manhood. But they beat her so bad that she was laid up in bed for two weeks. Oh my god! But she saved Simone. He survived. Apparently, he hid out under a bridge for like three hours and then came back, and everything was fine. Can I just say I love that twice now? This woman has saved someone's life by being super obnoxious. the same person, just being super annoying. Um. So as, as again, as the man from Redacted Princess has said, in a dick move, he puts us at that at the end of his sentence. But he would go on. Uh, Simone would go on to tell newspapers that he'd escaped, like all on his lonesome. That he found out about this plot to kill him, and like, you know, escaped, and then f- and then he fought off a number of his assassins, and like never mentioned her. What a stupid bitch! So dick move. Fuck him. Um. But this action would lead um, Simone in her in his letters to call her um, the Liberata, Liberatadora del Liberatador, which means the liberator of the liberator. Because he was called the liberator. Yeah. So, like, it was kind of cute. Um, interesting side note. Throughout all of this, she was still technically married. Yeah. So she never <laughs> divorced, just to bring him back up, she never divorced Thorne. And obviously she was... Fairly unconventional. She had a pet bear. So she didn't have, like, traditional ideas of fidelity and monogamy. And, I mean, he was a very, like, strict Englishman. Like, yeah. way back when that very was, like, a thing. Laced. So, I mean, like, she, she would write letters to her husband. And he, this is a really long quote, but it kind of sums up how she felt about the relationship with him. So th- this is her writing to her husband. Is it just, like, a series of expletives? No. <laughs> so it says, do you believe after being the mistress of this general for seven years with the security of possessing his heart, I could prefer to be the mistress of the father, the son and the Holy, the Holy ghost or the tr- Holy Trinity. If I feel anything, it is that you haven't accepted any better. your having been deserted. I know very well that nothing can unite me with him under the aus- auspicious that you call honor. But do you believe me less honorable for being my, lo- his being my lover and not my husband? Uh, I don't live under the social preoccupations invented for mutual torment. Leave me, my dear Englishman. Let's make a deal. And heaven will marry again, but on earth, no. And then just to, like, 
make it hurt a little bit more. This was the, the next part. Matrimony is reserved to your nation in love for sure, but also in the rest. Love affords you no pleasure, conversation, no wit, movement, no sprightliness. You greet without feeling, rising and sitting with care, joking without laughter, these divine formalities. But I am such a miserable mortal that I have to laugh at myself, at you and at all your English seriousness. Enough of jokes. Formally and without laughing, in total seriousness, truth, and purity of an Englishwoman, I tell you that I will never be yours again. Damn. So that's how she felt about, like, her husband. And in what I think is the best move, not only did she send this letter to her husband, but she sent a copy to Simone. Oh, my God. She's like... Look how I burn my husband. Right. Jesus Christ. Can I just say, though, like, so that section where she's talking about, like, all of the shallow formalities. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you just go through the motions and you just do these things because you're supposed to and you don't think about them. I was like. It very much does make me think of Victorian England. Well, it also makes me think of, like, life. Like, like how often am I, am I at work and I'm thinking like, God damn it. And I'm like, to whom it may concern per my last email, you know? And I'm just like, like you have to like do this weird little dance instead of just getting to the meat of it sometimes. Right. But I I just thought I kept that in there because I was like, man, that really just makes it clear how she felt toward her husband. Brilliantly written. I also love that she uh she's kind of dissing the Holy Trinity and then saying like oh, well, well and just England in general, like right. you're so Puritan and just like nothing you do matters. Right, but so she's dissing the Holy Trinity, but then like saying they'll get married in heaven, which I feel like which is I think just is mocking her- Oh him. yeah, because I I feel like her she's basically like, I'm not going to heaven. Yeah. So we'll get married in heaven, but I won't be there. Yes. I'm going to go to hell and party with all the other cool people. I also like that she was like, in all seriousness and purity as an English woman, because she's not an English yeah. woman. <laughs> um, anyways, um, apparently her husband remained pretty steadfast throughout her life. Again, probably because he had those values. Um, he was probably off doing his own thing, But though. apparently he would send her money throughout her life, and she was just like, no, I don't want your assistance. Oh. Um. So Simone... Back to Simone. Uh, he eventually left Bogota and uh, died on in Santa Marta from ber- tuberculosis. He was it, he was making his way out of Colombia in exile because at this point the revolutions were over and you know he was getting on people's nerves. Exactly. So he he was yeah like I said on his way to leave and he died of tuberculosis. Oh bummer. So after he died, uh, Manuela was like. I'm going to pull a Cleopatra. Oh, no. And tried to get a poisonous steak to bite her. But unlike Cleopatra, she survived because clearly she is the most badass person on the fucking planet. Death death comes over and he's like, all right, are you? Oh, no. No, no, not no. Not you. He just, no. He just starts walking away like, I will not. No, no, not today. Mm. Yeah, right. She, <laughs> I have not mm. had enough coffee to deal with this bitch. <laughs> exactly. Um, it kind of sucks that she survived, though. And I, I get it, like. I don't know. It's very Romeo and Juliet like. See, and I hate that crap. I guess not Romeo and Juliet. Mark Antony and Cleopatra. Yeah. Uh, and again, <laughs> literally. I, so I'm glad she survived because, yeah, the, mm-hmm. the whole like suicide romance thing. I hate that trope. Um. So he made no provisions for her. Like he, she was not in his will. Yeah. Um. 
Well, he had and like 80 mistresses. Exa- he had to I don't make know the how many he had, but exactly. Somewhere, okay? Or, you know, maybe he was married. I don't know. You know. But basically, he left her no money. And eventually, um, the person that returned to power after Simone died then went on to ex- exile Manuela as well. Because obviously, she was a revolutionary. Of course, you're going to exile that. And she was like in his pants constantly. Right. So she she went to Jamaica after she was exiled because, you know, where yeah. else is she going to go? Um, and she would remain politically active, kind of just causing trouble here and there. Nothing really like major um, until about the mid 1840s when she was just kind of like, fuck it. I'm done. I'm old. I'm tired. My I'm tired. Right. My bear's tired. These mustaches are turning gray. So she would um, go on to try to return to Ecuador some years later, but the Ecuadorian president at the time uh, revoked her passport and was like, nah. (laughs) Um, Nah, bitch. Right. She would then take refuge in northern Peru. Um, She lived in a small coastal town of Paita. And unfortunately, because she was kind of on her own, she descended into poverty and she kind of made her way by being basically, she was an outcast, but she kind of like made a little shop and sold tobacco and she would go on to translate letters for um, whale hunters that apparently came through South America. And so they would, she would translate letters or no, sorry. She would translate letters from North America to their Latin American lovers. So it was Ah. North American whale hunters who was, who were writing letters to their Latina lovers. And so she would translate for them and she made some money off of that. I love, she's still like keeping it spicy. Right. Like I'm, I'm still going to engage in some like marital debauchery, even if I'm not doing it myself. Right. I'm going to enable it. (laughs) What is kind of cool is that while she was there and like kind of doing her own thing, she did meet uh, Herman Melville, the Ah, writer. I was just going to make a Moby Dick joke, but I was like waiting for my opening because like, there you go. I'm, it's not a joke, but just Moby Dick. <laughs> yeah, right. So she met, she did meet Herman Melville, and then she actually also met uh, the revolutionary Giuseppe Garibaldi, who I don't know, but I think she he was big in South America. Yeah, he's a big deal. So in 1847, her husband was murdered. Oh, uh, yeah. So her husband was murdered, and so in two, I read several different articles, and they. They didn't all say, basically there were two sides of what happened after he was murdered. Some say that she was denied the inheritance he left her and other sources said that she, she didn't, she denied it. She was like, no, I don't want it. I don't want his help. Either way, she didn't get any inheritance. Um, Eventually the stairs in her home collapsed and left her kind of disabled. Like, she, oh, you know, no. she kind of le- it left her kind of disabled. She would go on to die in Paeta in on November 23rd, 1856 during the dip- diphtheria epidemic. 90% chance it was of diphtheria. Yeah. Um, like her- maybe a bus got her a second before the diphtheria did, but it was probably the uh, diphtheria. Yeah. Unfortunately, as it goes, when there's epidemics in countries like this, uh, her body was buried in a communal mass grave and all of her belongings were burned. Mm. Luckily, she had handed off some of her letters beforehand, but we'll get to that. Okay. So, briefly going back to Simon, even though he's been dead for quite a bit of time. Simone? Simone. Okay, yeah. Simon. Because there's Simon Says. I know. And then, and then there's Simone, Simone Bolivier. Um, <laughs> Sexy Simone. Exactly. So Simone had asked his general to burn um, 
his letters and his writings and his speeches. Basically, he was like, when I'm gone, I just want all like just burn it all. Um, however, his general disobeyed and actually like kept his writings and which is great because that's why we know so much of this history and his, yeah. and his conquerings and stuff and about his philosophy and like his thoughts and stuff. But especially because then we know so much about his affair with Manuela because they wrote a lot of letters to each other. And what's cool, as I mentioned, she her letters survived the burning of her stuff. But it was because shortly before her death, she went to his general and was like, here are my letters and here are the letters he sent me that you don't have. Aww. And basically like added to this collection. And um, even though he didn't mention her in his will or in his last confession or anything, it really like if you read his letters and her letters like back and forth to each other, like you you really can feel his love for her and like you know he calls her like the liberator of the liberator and is just very very sweet. Yeah, like clearly they had a deep connection, a very passionate relationship. Right. Can I just say really quick life rule: if anyone gives you a bunch of letters to burn, don't. No. Never. Never. Burn them because and luckily the most people in history know that rule. Like, yeah, you, you see that a lot where people are like, burn my letters and people are like, nah. no, yeah, totally, buddy. I'm just going to put them in this fireproof box so I can like save them to burn later. But seriously, because here's the thing, either one, you're going to want to save that stuff, you know, for posterity, for emotional stakes, you know, whatever, or there is incriminating shit in there and you want to turn that over to the police. Okay. It's one, one or the of the other. two. Okay. Right. So in 2010, um, Venezuela gave her a full state burial. Aww. It was symbolic because she was buried in a mass grave. Yeah, obviously we don't know where she is. Exactly. So symbolic remains composed of soil from that mass grave, which is kind of cool. Aww. Um, were transported through Peru, Ecuador, and Colombia to Venezuela. And they were buried um, with the remains of Simone. Oh, my God. They know how to do a burial. Good Those job, people South America, know what particularly the Venezuela. They know what they're doing. Can they plan my funeral? Because right. that is magnificent. Right? So, um, legacy. So, clearly, after the revolution, Manuela was kind of, she kind of faded from literature because once, once Simone was not around, she wasn't as big of a deal. And once she really didn't have that like revolutionary work to do, she didn't really know what to do. Um, so between 1860 and 1940, so almost 100 years, only three Ecuadorian writers wrote about her and her participation in the revolution. Wow. Um and a lot of those only really portrayed her as Simone's lover. Like yeah. they didn't talk about her participation in any of it. Simone you know? did this. And then his side piece was also exactly there with her bear. <laughs> um, and of course they, they really like as I'm assuming men, cause during that time it was mainly male writers. They really like, you know, brought out her feminine qualities and were like, oh, you know, this, this, and this. She was pretty. And, you know, as writers do. Her jeans were so tight, you can make out the numbers on her debit cards. Exactly. <laughs> Eventually, however, in the 1940s, thankfully, um, you know, people started doing a lot more research and there was a significant shift in how she was viewed. Um, there was a literature called... Papeles de Manuela Sainez, which is papers of Manuela 
Um, and that was written in 1945 by Vincent Lacuna, which it was a compilation of documents regarding the life of Simone, but it basically effectively disproved popular stereotypes about Manuela and like, you know, that she was just some like, you know, pretty chick on the side, basically. Um, but there was a lot of female, right. However, a lot of ideas about her being a sexual deviant and hyper feminine and incapable like that's what they a lot of people thought of her and luckily because of that book and other books that were starting to be written in the 1940s and 50s the view around Manuela really started to change I think it's interesting that she had this myth of hyper femininity when right. like she could have totally been feminine but she was also regularly dressing as a dude right you know um so eventually in 2007 the Ecuadorian government um Gave her the rank of general. So that's like, eventually she got it. Okay. Um, but she really also became this like rallying point for Latin America feminist groups. And she really also became a, a rallying point for the Indo-Latina causes in the 1980s. Like, you know, people were like, look at this woman, look at all she did. Yeah. You know, so there's a popular image of Manuela riding on Riding on a horse in men's clothing as as she like you know charges She's in and it's often used basically. There's also a woman, uh, not a woman. There's a museum named the Museo Manuela Sainez, and it's a um, museum in Quito, and it contains the personal effects of both Manuela and Simone. And it says, "quote To safeguard the memories of Manuela Sainez, Quito's illustrious daughter." She's got so many good nicknames. Right. Um, what's kind of cool is entrance to the museum is free if you purchase one of the books about Manuela's life. That is so smart. Um, and then personal effects within the museum include letters, stamps, and paintings. I love and that, that. is Manuela Sainez. God, what a little, like, badass. I love that so much. I know. I found her, and I was like... Or sorry, Cyan. I said Cyanez in the last one. But yeah, I found her and I was like, you're weird and I love you. Like, it's weird because she's fierce and dangerous, but she's also a little bit of a goofball. Right? Like, she's just a fucking bear. It's it's just really, you know, some of these women, their stories center largely around their achievements versus who they are as a person. It really just depends on you know, what, what records there are. Right. What you know? I, what but, I thought was funny was, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, what I was going to just say was, uh, I feel like I got to kind of know her as a person a little more and I got to know what she did. And right. that was a, that was, I don't know. I just feel like she was very well-rounded. Right. I, I really liked her story. And what I thought was funny and I didn't include it in my story, but it's in the rejected princesses. Is apparently like when she when he snuck out that window that night, he had to wear her shoes because he was like a small dude, and they had the same shoe size. Love it! And I was like, "That's adorable." That's find yourself a partner you can swap shoes with. Right. I I will that say will never happen with me. It was uh, I, a friend of mine uh was dating a woman, and they were about the same size, and so they would like be like, can I wear your dress today? Can I wear your whatever today? Like, they'd swap clothes, and they both had just, like, the cutest fucking clothes, and I'm like, yeah, I want to wear all your clothes, too. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> right, like, yeah, I, you can wear my clothes if I can wear your clothes. Can you imagine, though, you're, like, talking to your girlfriend, and she's like, does this look good on me? And you're like, I know it look good on me. Get it! <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, 
Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, who are you covering today? So, I'm excited. Uh, we're we're gonna chill out. We're gonna stay in yeah, not South America, but that general area out of America. Yeah, <laughs> but today I am going to be whining about Andrea Evangelina Rodriguez Perozo. I love that name. Uh, she commonly say goes by no. <laughs> Actually, I will say her full name one more time. God. But she commonly goes by Evangelina or Evangelina Rodriguez. Oh, I love Evangelina. So that's right? a pretty name. So that is how I will refer to her. So. Andrea Evangelina Rodriguez Perozo, more commonly referred to as Evangelina, thank God, because I don't think I could say all of that. Got to appreciate a woman who, like, makes you say her name, you know? Say my name, bitch. Say my name, say my name. When no one is around you, say, baby, I love you. And please don't sue us. <laughs> but seriously, it's like, I'm going to try to say in one breath, I dare you. <laughs> I would need to see it in front of me, but yeah, probably, I probably couldn't. Yeah. Um, so she was born in 1879 in the Dominican Republic. And to put it simply, her family situation didn't give her any advantages. Her mother, uh, Felipa Perozo, was an illiterate peasant. Her father, Ramon Rodriguez, was a wealthy merchant and army officer. Ooh. So this is like you're telling your story and I'm seeing all these like, like ooh, the connections. Yes. You get chills. That, thing, that just happens with our stories. Yeah, we don't sink on our periods. We sink with our women, mm-hmm. which is even more intimate. Way better. <laughs> yes. Um, so her father's kind of a big shot. And uh, Philippa, the mother, peaced out after giving birth. And Aww. soon Ramon did the same, leaving in Evangelina in the care of his mother. I was so, waiting for in the convent. No, <laughs> not today. But it was it was, it was, was kind of weird because it was like the mother tried to give the baby to the father. And the father was like, no, you take her. And then the mother was like, I'm out. And then the father's like, I'm out too. You take this baby. Like she's getting passed around like a hot potato. And right. I just, it makes me That's sad. Poor baby, yeah. Um, so she's being raised by her grandmother, Tomasina Suero de Rodriguez. And Tomasina was a mer- marchanta or a traveling sweet saleswoman. So it's like sugar and cornmeal and like maybe some syrup all mixed together yeah. and you roll in a ball and you sell it. Um, so at the tender age of six, Evangelina was helping her grandmother sell sweets to pay for her schooling. Not the worst child labor story that no. we've talked about. Not great, but like selling sweets if I had to pick. <laughs> right. Like... That's, that's better than a lot of other things. It's not working in a factory, not painting radium dials. I'll sell some sweets. So while her father occasionally visited, uh, it doesn't sound like he or her mother were fixtures in Evangelina's life. And I actually don't think Evangelina ever met her mother. Oh. Like her mother was gone. Done. Uh, Evangelina's life was complicated by our old pal, racism. Yay, Well, I racism. said the magic word. Uh, Evangelina was uh, part Pan-African, and at this time, the Dominican Republic was heavily segregated, and while slavery was officially outlawed, it was still in practice, and Afro-Dominicans faced severe racism. So it's one of those things where it's like, we shouldn't, you shouldn't do that, but no one's going to stop you. So just really shitty. Yeah, I get that. So she's like a vulnerable child who is experiencing racism, like just... No, thank you. 
Evangelina grew up quickly. At 12 years old, she began working as a home health aide for a poet and journalist, Rafael Alfredo, also known as Pepe Candido, which I'm like, I love that name. Right. Um, so he had been struck with leprosy. So she like worked in his house helping him out and stuff. Okay. The job came with an advantage. Raphael became something of a mentor to the young Evangelina, and this led her to her being able to attend Instituto de Senoritas, a women's college. Okay. Evangelina also received support from the Afro-Dominican community who practiced solidarity to survive the rampant discrimination. So it's kind of like within a lot of these stories we talk about with the civil rights movement in the United States, the community coming together to protect and support each other because if they don't, who the fuck will? Right. So she is getting support from that community, her community. Which I was like, Good. I hate that it has to happen, but like, it's sweet. It's that, good like, that it is happening. Like this yeah. child's been abandoned by her parents and the community's coming together to like help her out. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. So the headmistress and founder of Instituto de Senoritas, uh, Anacona Moscoso, Moscoso, yes. Hmm? Saying it right, saying it confidently. Uh, she got Evangelina a job teaching adult literacy classes to help fund her education. Okay. So Anacona was incredibly encouraging Evangelina's education and encouraged her to go to medical school. And I couldn't quite find the bridge to like Evangelina's childhood and like medical school. Maybe it was like that she was the, the like a health aide to that journalist. But she must have had some kind of knack and interest yeah. for it because this woman's like, do it, do it, do the thing. Right, exactly. Like other people are starting to push her like to it. Yeah, because it, it seemed to almost come out of nowhere where it's like, oh, I'm going to help you go to school. Medical school. <laughs> She's just like the overbearing mother that's like, no, you're going to be a doctor. Right. You're you don't have a, a choice. You're going to no, be a doctor. Honey, you're going to be a doctor, honey. Okay. That was actually... um. One of the famous fixtures in our hometown is Dr. Henry Plummer, and he grew up wanting to be an architect, and his mother was like, no, honey, you're going to be a doctor. So the, he became a know, doctor. not in, the, in a Minnesotan accent. Yeah. Oh, I, don't, I don't know. I oh, can... oh, you're going to be a doctor. I can't even do I like. I want to do that like New Jersey accent. Yeah, I told, I got stuck in I got stuck You're going to be that. a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to be a doctor. Schooling's mighty spendy, eh? But we'll make it work. We'll make it work. I'm gonna be a doctor. But the cool See, thing, and I go back to the front. But the cool thing is, uh, there is a there's a building downtown called the Plumber Building, and he kind of dug into his architecture passion and yeah, designed it, it. It was it's a beautiful building, and he it's my favorite. And he designed it uh, with the capability to have central air added later because it was like a brand new technology mm -hmm. at the time. And he's like central air. I think this is going to be a big deal. So he designed the building to accommodate it when it became more readily available. Like he was. Yeah, a, it was insane. His house had a button system where he could control the whole house electronically from his office. This dude knew what was up. Yeah, he was cool. And they died. It was a bummer. Yeah, everyone dies. Yeah, but it was his. He, there was a lot of things he could. He died fairly young, I want to say. I don't remember. I just remember he had like a stroke or something. He was like in a meeting and he's like, has a stroke and he was such a good doctor. He that just he, knew it. He, he's like, okay, I had a stroke now. I have maybe to go home. 24 hours to yeah. live. <laughs> yep. Anyway, this isn't about him, but I, I don't know. I thought that was cool. 
So after graduating, uh, Evangelina continued teaching, but then in October 1903, Evangelina enrolled in medical school at Universidad Autónoma de Santo Domingo Departamento de Medicina in the Dominican Republic. He was 62 when he died. Eh, That's not that old. It's not It's not like that young, but it's not that old Yeah, I mean, maybe for the time. Um, but then in 1907, Anacona Moscoso died due to complications while giving birth to her third child. Um, and with the Instituto de Senoritas having just lost its founder and headmistress, because she started that whole thing, yeah. Evangelina agreed to become the school's director. I, was, I thought was, you were going to say that she, like it just closed. I was she, like, oh. No, Evangelina burned it to the ground. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, she's she's very intense. There is no middle with her. She either doesn't care or she sets it on fire. <laughs> um, but so she starts running this school all while attending medical school herself, which I'm like, I can barely work a job, do a podcast, and like live my life. Right. And she's yeah. like, I'm going to run all this and shit. And you're going to grad school while working a job, doing a podcast, and living your life. But she's like, yeah, I'm running this fucking school, man, right. every day. She would earn her medical degree in 1909, becoming the first woman in the country to do this, which I was which like, is insane. Yeah. that's super cool. But that's like literally a blip on the radar. She does so much more later on where it's like, oh, she did this thing. But wait. Right. She's like, yeah, she ran a school, but there's more. Well, yeah. And the, the medical degree. But it's like, I don't know. That, oh, yeah. That, that achievement's like a cool milestone, but it's not even like what she should really be known for. Right. Yeah, I get that. So despite having a shiny new medical degree, Evangelina continued to run the Instituto de Senoritas and even founded a new school called Laborers and Domestic Workers Night School with her best gal pals. That's Cas- awesome. Right? Uh, so her gal pals, Casimira, Hero, and Petronilla Angelica Gomez. Uh, I'm See, like, girls, getting shit done. You know, I would have started a Woman podcast. getting shit done. But I guess, like... Founding a school that helps the working class get educated is also a noble pursuit. Whatever. Whatever. You know what? We picked the option that allowed for more wine, and I am comfortable with that decision. (laughs) I know what I want out of life, and it's wine. And tonight, orange juice. (laughs) So the purpose of this school was to offer night classes uh, and to provide educational opportunities to working class people. So, you know, these are people that are working during the day. They don't have the means, the time, the resources to go to school. So she's like, hey, come at night and we'll like party education style. Schoolhouse rock this bitch. I love that. As part of this effort, uh, Evangelina wrote Grenos de Pollen, translated into Pollen Grains, um, which is a book on child rearing for mothers that she hoped would spread like pollen grains carried by the wind. Which I'm like, I feel like that that idea sounded better in your head. You yeah. know? Oh yeah. Like I'm I'm judging you right now, and that's okay. So this book is important to talk about because it serves as a trail marker on Evangelina's development. So the book was very critical of women who stepped outside traditional <sighs> gender roles as wives and mothers. They're wearing pants and not working in the home. Oh my Ugh. God, what do you mean you don't want to have children? Why are you talking about marital rape? That's not a thing. He owns you. Ugh. It was also full of like extreme Catholic preaching and dogma. And it sounds like it was just kind of everything that makes me cringe. So she used to be like pretty, even yeah. though she was doing all of these amazing things that I would argue were you know, 
one ladylike. You know, if she's talking about yeah. traditional gender roles, she's already stepping out of that. But at the same time, she's very like, no, this is how women should be. And this is what you should do. Right, like and, she's stepping outside of her gender roles, but she's telling everyone else to still conform. Yeah, and oh, oh, where did I get my sources? God. Are yeah. you that one, bitch? <laughs> like, whoa, Evangelina, you gotta chill. Again, I told you, she either doesn't care or she sets it on fire. So as much as Evangelina enjoyed teaching, she didn't get a medical degree for shits and giggles. She wasn't just like, right. I'm gonna see if I can. I'm just gonna spend all of this money, guys. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to, like, it was a, it was a dare. I enrolled in I just in wanted med- to put balls in some guy's pocket. Oh, wait, that wasn't her. <laughs> that was a dick. Oh, yeah, that's oh, right. That was a penis in someone's, like, school bag. No, 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 here's the thing. My boyfriend broke up with me because he said that I wasn't part of his life plan. So I went to, I followed him to medical school and then I learned that he was a douchebag and I became like the best medical person ever. Me and my little chihuahua. Bend and snap, bitches! (laughs) (laughs) It was like, I know what you're talking about and it was law school, but I'm just going to let you go with it. Shush. Oh my god! Can we watch Legally Blonde some, some yes sometime? Because we're just gonna have like a woman a movie. movie night, and we have to watch Ocean's Eight, and we can watch Legally Blonde. Love it. So Evangelia was determined to pursue a medical career. Unfortunately, there weren't many opportunities for her to practice medicine and grow no, her because skills. It's stepping outside of your role as a woman. Well, she's a woman. She's not super experienced, and no one's really willing to take well, she's a chance probably, on she, her. At this point, she's not super young either. I don't know. She's... 30s? Maybe. So this is, what, the early 1900s, and she was born in 1879. Yeah, 30s. Yeah. Okay. Kelly, we are both 30. You can't say not super young. All right? It was a different time. We are babies. It was 100 years ago. (laughs) We are babies masquerading as adults. I mean, yeah, but maybe... Maybe toddlers. Kelly, I am in my onesie pajamas right now, okay? <laughs> that will make sense in next week's episode. Yeah. Like, don't get get out of here. Tod- I'm going to go with toddlers. We're not babies. We're toddlers. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, we express our feelings by biting other people. Right? We're really and throwing feisty. tantrums. Yes. Oh, my God. I had to, like, throw a very professional tantrum today when I was ordering my sheetrock because they were like, love you. actually, the cost to bring in your house is going to be three times what you thought it was. And I was like, no, it's not. It's This is what your website says. So that's what I You're want. like, you're either going to give me this price or I will figure it out my fucking self. I I mean, Jared wanted me to just, like, cancel the whole order. I was like, bitch, I will carry that sheet rock on my back up those goddamn stairs. I will shame you. I will break myself if I fucking have to. Yeah, I will break my leg, and then I will crutch my way into Lowe's and be like, where is that Australian son of a bitch that said he wouldn't carry my Was he Australian? Yeah, well, actually, he was the guy that was like, well, if it says it on the website, I guess. Oh, good. So the and Australian was like, one was yes. okay. Yeah, but the first guy that called me, was, I was like, he's like, how are you? I'm like, I'm fine. How are you? He goes, well, I've been better. I'm like, I already hate this conversation. Like, <laughs> You are in a professional service industry. No matter how you're feeling, you say, I'm fine or I'm good and move on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even when I have clients ask me how I am, like, the worst thing I say is living the dream or, oh, keeping busy. There, There is, like, <laughs> one customer that it, like, if I'm not busy 
and she's like, hey, you know, how are you doing today? Then I'll be like, oh, you know, it, it's a bullshit kind of day. You know, <laughs> there's one customer I will do that to. Yeah. And she's super nice and I adore her. But like, yeah, everyone else, like even like my coworkers, if they're like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm fine. Yeah. This I'm on is my fine. like fourth cup of coffee, but I'm fine. I'm on my fourth cup of coffee and the room is burning around me, but this is fine. Yeah, I'm that dog <laughs> in that room that's just like, this is fine. Ah, oh, goddamn. What were we talking about? Tantrums, toddlers, Tantrums, sheet toddlers, sheetrock. Doctor lady. Doctor lady. Yeah. There was no, there was no stuff for yeah. doctor lady. She couldn't, she couldn't doctor it up. The only thing she could doctor up was a rum and coke. Oh, <laughs> actually I've got, you know what I've gotten really into? What? That I realized, so I went to a wedding last weekend and I, someone was like, have you ever had an amaretto sour? And I'm like, uh, I'm sure I have at some point, but I'm like, I don't know. So she let me try her amaretto sour. And then I continued to drink amaretto sours for the rest of the, the night. And I got real drunk. That was fun. Um, I'll have to show you this picture and maybe I will post it on our Patreon that you can go look at it for $1. Yeah, I love Kelly's um, whoring out her drunk pictures for a dollar. <laughs> um, I mean, it's me and Justin. He was also really drunk. Oh my god, it's cute! Like, look how happy we look. No, you do, but you're but, a couple of drunk little yeah. skunks, and um, it's adorable. But yeah, so I drank a bunch of amaretto sours, and then it was cute because, like, the next day, my husband was like, "Do you really like amaretto sours?" And I'm like, "Yeah, they were really good, clearly." Um, and he was just like, well, you know, we have like the Di Serono at home to make them. You know, we just need like the sweet and sour mix. And so then we bought some and it was really cute. And I so love I'm it. Probably going to make him make me one after this. I also love that after a night of getting drunk on Amaro Sours, you woke up the next morning and you're like, more Amaretto I Sours. I actually <laughs> felt like surprised. Like, and even Justin, like. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast before. My husband is usually one of those people that he drinks and like he can have like, he used to be like, he'd have two drinks and he'd get like super sick. He has stomach issues. Apparently neither, like ne- we both got super drunk and neither of us got sick. That I was so, like it was funny because we were talking to the couple and even they were like, yeah, we've slept at your house before when you get super drunk and you always get sick. They're like, so they were like, I bet both of you are going to get sick tonight. And we saw them the next morning as we were leaving and they're like, oh, gee, they get sick. And we're both like, no, we're fine and it's weird like I had a little bit of a headache because I usually I match my drinks like one for one with water and I I didn't because I was dancing and you know enjoying the wedding out um so I had a little bit of a headache but like I didn't get sick I didn't have a stomach ache he was fine so both of us were like I don't know what happened but we're fine can I just say to all of our younger listeners that is a very exciting thing to happen after you reach a certain age. Because after like 25, if you don't get a hangover, it's like the best day of your yeah, life. Yeah, if you can get really drunk and not have to suffer the consequences the day after, it is truly miraculous. I sometimes have two sips of wine and get a wine headache and I'm like, this right. is bullshit. Because yeah, like everyone was like, oh, on New Year's, you like almost always get sick. I'm like, I'm sorry I make loud noises when I vomit. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like you are dying. So yeah, your coughs be, already sound like you're dying. It'll be interesting to see. So back to my lady. Um, so she can't, there's not a lot of opportunities for her practice no, course, medicine yeah. where she's living in San Pedro de Marcoris. Uh, so in, I have no idea where that is. It's in Ecuador. No, Dominican Republic. What the fuck? It is in the Dominican Republic. So yeah, it's a municipality in the, in the Dominican Republic. Ooh, look at you and Google. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I, I was like, I recognize San Pedro because I'm pretty sure San Pedro is the capital of the Dominican Republic. Maybe. 
I'm not just going to blindly agree. I don't remember. Anyway, uh, they didn't teach us the song for the capitals of the Dominican Republic and Haiti and those those areas. It was just South America. Mm. So in 1918, she moved across the country to San Francisco de Marcoris. Santa Domingo. I was wrong. Oh, okay. Uh, this is a different city in, than the one in California, but it was under U.S. military occupation at this time. So... <clears throat> Make me choke on my wine. Oh my God, I love you. I don't know why that was so funny, but it was. You know, I try so hard to make you laugh, and then something really stupid makes you laugh. I'm like, maybe I'm trying too hard. Yeah, you are, clearly. So here, Evangelina worked providing medical care at bargain basement prices. So she's serving like a lot of poor people. She's not right. charging a lot. She, she's she's kind of like being more helpful. She's than... like in the trenches as yeah. far as medical help goes. After three years of this, in 1921, she moved to Paris to continue her Ooh, medical Paris. studies. Yeah. So she'd like earned enough money to travel to Paris. There she earned an advanced degree in obstetrics. I'd uh, like to go to Paris. Don't know what obstetrics is? Really? Neither did I. Really? I didn't. Shut up. Don't judge me. I looked did, it did up. Did you not know what the OB and OBGYN stood for? No. Okay. I thought it was like. Oh boy, Gina. <laughs> Kelly is dying. Kelly is dying right now. I have killed her. <laughs> Just continue while I laugh. So it's medicine related to childbirth and and vaginas and lady bits. Although, important, important disclaimer, not every lady has a vagina, okay? It's not needed to be a lady. Nope. No vaginas required because, God, they're a pain in the ass. So much maintenance. It, like, tries to, like, fall out of me once a month. It's a nightmare. It's great. I will say, I do feel like more of a badass that I can bleed for seven days straight not and not die. die. Yeah. Anyway, I couldn't help but wonder if this was partly inspired by the loss of her friend and supporter, Anacona, years earlier. Oh, no. Because she died during childbirth. So I oh, was like, right, yeah. I never read anywhere that that was why she went into obstetrics. Maybe it was just like, well, I'm a woman and women need help. And, you know, but I, that Anacona was such an important figure in her life. And for her to die during childbirth, I'm like, that. I feel like that would affect you. She had to you. have at least been thinking about it, you know? Uh, she also received a degree in politics and public health care. Of course she did. Yeah, you know, just to fall back on in case the whole doctoring thing didn't work out. Why not? Yeah, Everyone has to have their fall thing. This yeah. podcast is my fall thing. <laughs> no. Finding a sugar daddy is my fall yeah, thing. Yeah, that's, that's, that's our grand plan. Email us at whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com. Do you know a wealthy man? Maybe in Australia or, you know. Somewhere cool. St. Martha's Vineyard. Somewhere with a beach. Yeah. I love a beach, even Scotland. Just let us know. It's a, everything's pretty close to a beach there. I feel. Anyway, one so, day we'll go to Scotland. Or, if you live in Scotland and listen to this podcast and know where we can stay, let us know. Yeah, if you know of a like non shady B and B that doesn't have cameras in the toilets, let us know. <laughs> so okay, remember that book that she wrote about like the pollen grains that was super strict Catholic yeah. dogma, yeah, 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 woman yeah. woman shaming. Well, the, this is what women need to do. Book. Yeah. 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 Well, in France, Evangeline was exposed to more progressive ideals, and her ideas began to change. Yay. 
she was becoming more aware of the social causes for many of the illnesses that she was learning to treat, such as poverty, no access to birth control, no protection from STDs, and more. So basically, she's like, man, these people wouldn't be having these problems if we prevented them by like making them letting them do shit and letting them have control over their bodies and helping them prevent from getting venereal diseases. Wouldn't that be nicer than treating them after things have already gone wrong? Right. So by the time she returned to the Dominican Republic in 1926, she had become a committed feminist who advocated for health care for the most vulnerable and underserved people of her time. The poor, destitute, infants, sex workers, lepers, the working class, and unwed mothers. Aren't you so glad that we live in a time where those people aren't reviled and judged anymore? Right. Thank God we have grown as a society and the human race. Evangelina was committed to exacerbating something. (laughs) She was going to exacerbate some change up in here. Uh, in her home country, and she wasted no time. So just a few of her endeavors include, I'm getting ready for a bitch and bullet list, because I was like, how can I craft this I love into your, a... I love your bitch and bullet list. Well, I'm like, sometimes, I can't craft this into a narrative. She just did so Sometimes it's too hard. Like, the one I covered, like, two or three, and I was like, okay, here's my bullet list, yes. because I was like, there's no way you can, like, and sometimes they don't give you dates, and you're like, yeah. <laughs> so uh, she established the Mother's Milk Bank to help mothers feed their children. That's still a thing. Like, I, I don't oh. know if it's like, I know, I guess if, if it's what I'm thinking of, but I know like today, if you're um, a woman that's overproducing breast milk, you can donate your extra to mothers oh, yeah. that can't. And I am assuming that's what it is. Probably. But I don't know. But yeah, you can donate that extra breast milk to to hospitals for mothers that cannot breastfeed their babies. Yeah, or like some babies can be allergic to formula. Yep. And that kind of thing. So, so. if... It's that a version of it or potentially the same thing still exists today. I believe so. And that's really that's what cool. it sounds like to yeah. me. Um, she established a cow's milk dispensary. And I assume that's to like help feed people because milk is a good so, yeah. source of calcium and vitamins and whatever. Uh, she would visit the areas where sex workers frequented uh, to offer medical care and education on how to avoid contracting venereal diseases. And of this, she said, quote, yes, I go there. They are not bad women. They are just poor women who cannot find other work. Right. And in some cases, that's true, particularly in survival sex work. Um, Which happens in a lot of the countries she would have been working in. Yeah. Um, she created a vaccination clinic. So. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Uh, she founded the Society for the Protection of Mothers and Infants. Mm-hmm. She built a tuberculosis sanatorium. Jesus. She built this ass- woman did so fucking much. That's why it had to be a bullet list. I wish I could make enough money to do this. Right. Part of me, I'm like, how? But I think she um, attracted like benefactors. You know, well, yeah, she, and she I mean, didn't she, get there, I'm sure like, she had the hole for some the money, but yeah, yeah, like I'm sure she was just like, hey guys, this is a cause, let's raise money for it. Yeah. Um, so she built an asylum for lepers. Uh, she advocated for comprehensive sex education in schools, wow. birth control, STD prevention and treatment, and family planning. She's so like 50% of the country's worst nightmare, and I love her for it. She also advocated for social and labor reform, including women's suffrage. So she did get really involved in labor rights. I don't get a ton into that uh, just because there was so much, but she was just kind of like doing it all. And she did all of this while running her own private practice where she offered 
pre and postnatal care oh and, ed- and then educated midwives. So one that they can make money, but two that they can provide expert care to other women and like, pr- like lessen infant mortality rates and which like is huge. The death yeah. rates of mothers giving birth where she's like, Hey, I have the knowledge. I got it all the way from France. Let me like pass it on to you like a sweet ass virus. But speaking of viruses, check out my vaccination clinic. <laughs> yeah, right. But wait, there's more. In her free time, Evangelina teamed up with her bestie Angelica, who had helped her found the night school that I mentioned yeah, earlier. Yep. yep. One uh, of her besties. And worked as an editor and writer for Angelica's periodical Femina, which if you couldn't Ooh. tell was a feminist publication. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, the pieces that Evangelina wrote often addressed health and medicine, which obviously is her bailiwick. But wait, if you think I Evangelina you couldn't get bailiwick. better, yes. Uh, but if you think she couldn't get better, think again. And this this part, I'm like, how is her life not a movie? On April 18th, 1929, Evangelina was helping one of her patients, a woman named. Eulalia uh, Santiago de Sanchez give birth. Tragically, Eulalia died oh, no. shortly after giving birth to her daughter. And it sounds like the child's father, Francisco Sanchez, was unable to care for her because Evangelina adopted the little girl, naming her Celeste. Or, yeah, Celeste. And nicknamed her Lalita after her oh, dead mother. That's adorable. Like... Now she's adopting babies right. from dead moms. Like Jesus I mean, it Christ, was one of her close friends. No, I thought you no, said it was. It was a patient. Oh, Eulalia. That's nice. Yeah, Eulalia Santiago de Sanchez. Oh. Yeah, it was just a patient who died while giving and she birth. She was just like, "I'm going to take your mom, or your I'm going to take, <laughs> I'm going to take your mom's body. I'm going to give her a proper burial, and then I'm going to take your I'm kid. Take you, yeah." I, I like I'm not super sure why the father didn't take custody or what that situation was, but Evangelina adopted. It the could baby. have been that there was maybe she didn't say who the father was. Well, or... we know who he was. He comes back, but I it just but maybe at the time it seems to me like he was unable or unwilling to care for her at that Shock. time for whatever reason. Anyway, so he had to like go off and work. I'm I'm not being too judgy. I don't know a ton about him. Now, Evangelina is killing it, but there's one big throbbing dickish thorn in her paw, and his name was Rafael Trujillo, and if that name sounds familiar, which it should to you, Kelly, but it's like from a bygone era. So this dude really put the dick in Dictator, and longtime listeners may remember him from episode 22 a billion years ago, it feels like, uh, when I covered Las Mariposas. Yep. The the Mirabal sisters. Yep, yeah. I was like, it's from the Mirabal sisters. She, yeah. He's that asshole. Yeah, he's that fucking piece of garbage, and I hate him. I hate him so much. So if you want a more detailed breakdown on this marvelous piece of shit. I hope he stabbed in his grave. I, Someone burn that. Someone burn that shit. You know what? There's And then like, don't blame me. There's a government job in the Dominican Republic now where it's like the, the governmental pisser and he goes and pisses on Trujillo's grave every day. I love you. Yes. We love you, governmental pisser. <laughs> he gets great benefits too. Oh, I'm sure. He's always so hydrated. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, do you need more water? Are you sure you don't need more water? Yeah. Here's yeah. more water. Well, okay, what is the longest that you've been able to piss on that dude's grave? 
three minutes. Bravo, sir. (laughs) Congratulations. We'll get you more water. Yeah. But if you want to learn more about this marvelous piece of shit, listen to that episode. I go into more detail. But for the purposes of our story, understand that he's a genocidal rapist hemorrhoid and... In the it's terrible. He's a terrible story. person. Yeah, he's he's a monster. He's like, a a hemorrhoid. He's a hemorrhoid. That's what I said. Oh, I missed yeah. that. I said he's a rapist hemorrhoid on the yeah. planet sphincter. He's a, ooh yeah. Ooh. I got very specific. We're not drawing a picture of that. No, no. I've I've already drawn one with my words, and it's in your head, and it, you're all it really is. Disgusted. I'm never going to be able to get that. Out of, well, the wine will help. Yeah. So Evangelina was keenly aware of how dangerous Trujillo was, especially to women and the vulnerable. He, she spoke openly and fiercely against him in his regime. She was criticized and written off as being a, quote, ugly black woman. Because racism comes back. It, like, it never left. And I'm like, fuck you guys. But this is amazing. To this, she responded by embracing her Afro-Dominican heritage even more. So she would refuse to straighten her hair and, and instead braid it. So she would style in like traditional like Afro-Dominican styles. She was like, I'm not going to make my appearance fit what you think I should look like. Fuck off. And I just love it's like. She was almost being spiteful about it. She's like, oh, you don't like this? I'm not going to let you look away, you motherfuckers. Right. He's like, she's like, this is who I fucking am? Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. No, it's it's amazing. So even when potential suitors began to disappear because of this, she kept speaking out. Even when the Dominican Feminist Action Alliance worked on erasing Evangelina's contributions to the country and history, she kept speaking out. Even when supporters of her endeavors began to disappear, she kept speaking out. Even when she lost her practice, she kept speaking out. Even when her adopted daughter's father took her back, she kept speaking out. Good for her, though, like for... for continuing to yeah. speak out against well, it. It was so she's getting this reputation as kind of a troublemaker because she's super not jiving with this dictator. And so she's getting all this criticism. Shocker. And, Shocker someone doesn't jive with a fucking and, dictator. Right. And the little girl's like father's friends are like, your kid shouldn't be around her. So right. the dad takes her back. I'm like, dude, fuck you. That happens a little bit in my story next Ugh. week that, you know, they're like, oh person's too progressive don't let them be around fucking a even when she was a victim of police brutality oh no she kept speaking out even when she became a pariah she kept speaking out i mean and good for her but how sad like this woman that's done all of this shit and all of this good just getting abandoned because you know a dictator is basically like these are my beliefs and everyone else has to believe them and she doesn't and so people are like nope well, and it's it's kind of a double-edged sword because either you support him and you don't like what she's saying or you're so scared of him that you're distancing yourself exactly. for your own safety. It's like either way, she loses and it's terrible. Well, finally, even when she began to succumb to mental illness, which was likely um, schizophrenia, she really? kept speaking That late out. in life? Well, I'm not sure exactly what year. they. I It sounded to me, and this is me just kind of making it up, That's but fine. she was being harassed by the police she was being stalked she was like she was becoming very paranoid so it could have been paranoia not schizophrenia yeah well i read it was likely schizophrenia but she was she started to kind of lose her mind and i really think it was just the stress of constantly being 
victimized and attacked by the government, you know, and losing all of her connections, all of her work, her business. She didn't have money anymore. Like she, and it could, she could have had like a mild case of it earlier in life. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the situation that she is in right now would only exacerbate any kind of mental illness. And and you can become schizophrenic at any age. Like it's, it's not impossible. It normally happens in your twenties or thirties. Yeah. Which is interesting to my psych brain. It's very interesting. <laughs> Ten more years and I'm out of the woods. Right. Um, but it can happen later yeah. in life as well. So Evangelina would suffer dearly for her <laughs> activism. She was abducted by Trujillo secret can, police. Can we reverse like 10 seconds and just stop? I'm going to reread the bitch She might have had schizophrenia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Reread the bitch and bullet list yeah. and then let's go eat. It's not often that she may have had schizophrenia is actually the highlight. The not I the mean, least it's not, it's not a highlight, thing. but it's, it's yeah, not the it's, most It's depressing. like a midpoint. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, how did this get worse? So she was abducted by Trujillo's secret police because you're not a real dictator unless you have a bunch of murderous secret police. And she was brought to a fort where she was brutally tortured. It's like, you know, it's like he didn't, you know, lure people out with the promise of seeing their husbands slash boyfriends and then murder them. Oh, yeah. Thank God that totally never happened. Seriously, listen to episode 22. It's actually a really good episode. That was, uh, that was a good one. That was was after we solved all our weird audio issues. That's like episode four. (laughs) No, episode three. Episode three was when we started like to not sound completely. When we started coming over here instead of just, you know, thinking about throwing a blanket over us in your, in your area. I just wanted to get under the covers with you, baby. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be making jokes during this part. This no. Really okay. Nice. Let's be serious. I think we she all just had want schizophrenia to... and then terrible things happen. I think we all just don't want to fucking talk about this. But... I also just finished like half, half a bottle oh, of shit, wine girl. by myself. <laughs> so, okay. She was brutally tortured. And because a quick death would be way too merciful when Trujillo's men were finished, they released Evangelina mm. into the desert that surrounded the fort. Oh, I also read They that were just like, was, here, fucking walk home. Yeah, I also read that she was like left on like a deserted rural trail. But basically, she's left in the middle of nowhere and tra- traumatized, malnourished, and well, delirious. Well, I mean, I'm sure she's like bleeding. I'm sure she, you know, she just got beat there's yeah. no way they like bandaged her and gave her neosporin and were like you can walk home yeah. no they were probably like you're bleeding and you're probably gonna die have fun in the desert yeah so traumatized malnourished and delirious evangelina Ugh. wandered the desert before dying of starvation on january 11th 1947 at 67 years old her death was deeply mourned by thousands of patients whom she had helped and who oh. had remained loyal to her. So people were on her yeah, side. Like, even though she was speaking out, some people were still like, no, I believe her. It's I'm just with hard her. when the whole fucking government wants you to shut the fuck up. It's, it's one of those things that they supported her, but it was silent and in the background. Well, and they didn't have a lot of power, I'm sure, because remember, she's also treating some of the most vulnerable people in society. Legacy, because this is so depressing. So, despite attempts to erase Evangelina from the record, her legacy of activism, education, and medical achievements has survived. Good. Yeah. The Hospital Materno Dra Evangelina Rodriguez in Santo Domingo, which we just learned is the capital of the Dominican Republic, is named after her. 
In honor of her educational legacy, an elementary school in her hometown of San Pedro de Macorís was named after her. In 1985, our girl Evangelina got her own postage stamp. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> I can't whoop, whoop as well anymore. <laughs> Again. Whoop, whoop. Okay, whoop for the both of us. Whoop. You're whoop. whooping for two, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, fantastic. We should get it. We should make a shirt for pregnant people that says whooping for two. <laughs> oh, no, we are... 10,000% yes. making that shirt. I don't know if they sell maternity shirts, but we're going to sell it and you just have to buy yes. it in like two sizes bigger than you normally would. Yeah, we, we got this. And then what of Trujillo? He was assassinated because he was a genocidal piece of shit. Thank God. The final nail in his coffin may have actually been the fact that he murdered three other women who opposed him. The Mirabal sisters, also mm. known as Las Mariposas. Episode 22. Yeah. Yeah, I said, uh, again, check out episode 22 mm-hmm. for their, their Don't story. Don't worry, I'm helping you. Yes. I'm, pl- I'm helping plug. Yeah. Plug, 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 plug. But yeah, plug. no, seriously, he he brutally had them murdered, and then like a month or a few weeks later, he was shot because they kind of became martyrs for their country. Even though he, like, he was murdering. Yeah, no, it was, it was terrible. Like, it, it was so bad. Go but listen that was to episode kind of 22. like the flashpoint. It was. So... And it, it's funny because I was doing this research. And I saw his name. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I was like, get out of my stories, you asshole. You're never a good sign. Like everyone I cover where you're in their story dies. Yeah, you're a terrible fucking asshole. God. And it's so weird because like I had never heard of him before covering Las Mariposas. Never. And he was like, yeah, I actually, I may have kind of heard of him in my women's literature class because we read, but I'm sure it was about him being an asshole. No, we, we read a book about, um, the genocide in Haiti and that I believe is called the parsley massacre. And that was instigated by him. So you read about him being an asshole. Well, I read about people suffering because he was an asshole. He, I Close think he was really named. Close enough. Yeah. But yeah, that is the amazing and unfortunately sad, tragic story of Andrea Evangelina Rodriguez Perroza. I love that. Like, I don't like the ending, but like two thirds of the story, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Well, she was doing so many cool things and things that we still need today. Things that we still are like. Well, and some things Did that are still around, like like you said, the, the milk, the milk mother's bank. milk bank, yeah. yeah. But she was like providing services that people still get bitchy about today. Like, oh, if you help them, they'll never improve. It's like that's well, what I was saying. She's providing. She's providing services for for um people that people still are like, you shouldn't help them. Like they should, they yeah. need to help themselves. It's like no. That's not how that works. We're so, all human beings. You know what blows my mind? Okay, when I was growing up going to Catholic school, uh, we, we had a religion class, you know, where we talked about parables and the Bible and Jesus and all that good fun stuff. And I kid you not, we would have worksheets where it was like, okay, we, we listened to a story about mm-hmm. like helping the poor, the good Samaritan. How would you help someone? And literally every single kid in class wrote, help the poor. And yet we're so like, like when I you help up, the poor people are like, why they should help themselves. They need to get a job. Yeah. And I like, I grew up and I was like, did I get that wrong every fucking time? Because Jesus seemed pretty cool about it. Right. Did <laughs> I get that wrong? But like religion just 
Yeah, I don't know. Was religion also wrong? You know, if you're being a dick, you're wrong. All right, Emily. All right. (laughs) We're we're done because we could rant about religion all fucking day long. I got all worked up now. Damn it. Emily. What are you thankful for? Other than Mama Meg's emails. (laughs) I mean, yeah, besides that. God, seriously, I'm I'm. I know, right? That like made my week. Yeah. Um, I am thankful because I got my first COVID vax. Yay. I'm, I'm halfway into my initiation of the vac pack. So I already got mine. Oh yeah. You got yours. Like a long, years, a long time, time ago. ago. So I'm fully vaccinated. So you won't see any of my pictures cause I yeah. knew a pharmacist so, and it was waste doses. So I don't get a fancy sticker. Mm. I don't think I got a sticker, but I have you, my card. You had so I have my card, but I'm not going to post that oh, no, online. No. I it, had like, my yeah. Band-Aid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I didn't have, well, I had a Band-Aid. I was like, you was didn't get a Band-Aid? a long fucking time ago. And I will say, the guy that did it to me, like my friend, best fucking person I've ever had give me a shot. Really? Because I tense, like if you tell me, like I hate it because like I love nurses. I work with nurses. They're great. They're fantastic people. Everybody love on your nurses. But get the fuck away from me. No, but a lot of times <laughs> they're like, okay, I'm going to count down and go, you know, three, two, one. And then, and then they give you the shot. And I tense because I know it's coming. Yeah. This person, this guy, I call him Jake from State Farm. Oh my God. Was he wearing <laughs> khakis? We keep, we tell him to, but his name is actually Jake. Okay. But we call him Jake, like literally in my phone, it's Jake from State Farm. Jesus Christ. Um, but so he like came over, I got my first vaccine in my basement. I'm not even, cause he was out giving them to hospice patients and he had like oh, three extra waste doses. You got so he a came house over. call from exactly, Jake from State exactly. Farm. Exactly. Like a good neighbor, Jake but from he State was like Farm is there. Legitimately in the middle of a sentence and just like walked over to me and like he had already cleaned my arm and stuff. Yeah. So like he cleaned my arm, cleaned my husband's arm, was like in the middle of a conversation with us about like, if we're going to restart game night once everyone gets vaccinated and just literally walks up, sticks the needle in my arm, gives me the shot and walks away and I'm like, that is the best shot I've ever gotten because I wasn't expecting it. So I didn't tense. Yeah. So it didn't hurt until the, you know, until the next day. But that's normal for a flu shot. I was going to say my, my arm was kind of sore, but I was like, that's fucking nothing. Right. Yeah. I got super sick after my second one. I, uh, I almost had like a little heart attacking my vaccine. So the whole thing was actually very easy, very quick, totally not a big deal. Right. I go in the little room and the guy has a little basket full of syringes ready to go because like people are just going in and out, in and out. Like they're trying to move people as quickly as possible. And he's an older gentleman and he's like, he's kind of like saying his spiel and you could tell yeah. he said this a trillion times already. And he's like, it's almost like he's just saying it and doesn't know what he's saying. But he's like, how are you? I'm like, I'm really excited to get my vaccine. And he kind of like, was like, oh, that's different than why I normally hear. All right, cool. Right? Yeah, I was really excited but to get my vaccine. He takes the syringe and then takes the cap off of the needle and he's like getting ready to stick it in and he accidentally, he fumbles and drops it oh, no. and it hits the table. And I was this close to being like, five second rule, stick me, stick me. Because I don't know if they can like recover the vaccine from right. that syringe because uncapped, that needle touched the table so they can't give it to you. And yeah. I was like... Oh my God, that's a whole person that's not going to get their vaccine. Like I was like, no, it's like watching a car accident in slow right. motion. Well, that's why a lot of people were like, oh, why did you get your vaccine before other people? And I'm like, it was waste doses. Wouldn't you yeah. rather go to someone than no one? Yeah, exactly. 
Like, and no, I would never take a vaccine from a person that needed it because it was still during the time that it was not our group. I mean, now it is our group. Now it's yeah. fucking up well, to like 15 year olds. Yeah. And it was, it was like right before it became our group. But yeah, it was just like they had waste doses and they didn't, they didn't have other people that needed them. Yeah. Well, and you're contributing to herd immunity. Like, I, I yeah, under- herd Here, immunity. Here's the thing that bothers me. Like, well, why did you get it before someone else? It's like, hey, man, I didn't like push and shove someone. No, with, not at all. Who's immunocompromised to get my vaccine first? I signed up online. I waited until it was available for me, or there was an opportunity where, like, it was it was going to go to waste. Like, I'm not stealing it from someone. Like, we should all get vaccinated if we can. I agree. Anyway, but yeah, I'm thankful I got my first dose. You know, Good. I get my second one uh, beginning of next month. I already have well, it all scheduled. I was gonna say we'll have to make sure to be prepped to have a few ex- or at least one extra episode in the bag, yeah. so that if you get sick, yeah, I'm I'm a little anxious about the second one. But my thing is like because I got sick on mine, but I think it was like a like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I think we were still able to record on that Friday. Yeah, but I'm just, I'm a little anxious, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, you know what, if I have to be sick for a little while to do this, like, that's fine. People have gone through oh, yeah. fucking well, hell. What I, what I told someone else is that, you know, yeah, getting sick for a day or two, I'm sorry I interrupted you, but getting <laughs> sick for a day or two on the vaccine is better than potentially having permanent lung damage from getting COVID. So Jared's friend uh, actually just got out of the hospital oh, no. because he got COVID. He, he's okay, or he's going to be okay. But I was asking Jared, I was like, so is, did he go back to work? And Jared looks at me, he goes, no, dude, he's still super fucked up. It's just that he he's out of need, the hospital. He doesn't need medical assistance and he's not contagious anymore. But Jared was kind of in that, in that group where he's like, I can wait to get it because I want to make sure more vulnerable people are have yeah. access to it. But then he was talking to his friend on the phone because he was going crazy in the hospital because he was by himself. Yeah. Um, You're allowed maybe one visitor, maybe. And it's, it's one person ever. Yeah. Like that. It's not like one person a day. It's just one person. Yeah. But uh, his buddy was telling me, he's like, hey, man, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I don't know your feelings on this, but I just want to let you know, as someone who's experiencing this right now, this is hell. And Jared used to smoke. He's been just over a year for Right, so smoking. he already has potential lung problems. Yeah, and, and his friend was like, dude, I like with you having smoked, I, I'm worried about you. And it was just coming Aww. from a very sweet, genuine place like, hey, man, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but I just want to tell you, I'm worried about you. And so right, Jared like, was like, I'm going to get that that's fucking That's really vaccine. sweet. Yeah. But he's, he's, he's doing okay. Good, Thank good. God. But yeah, I think he's still like laid up because it fucked him up oh i'm sure yeah so i i don't know if they're gonna be any like long-term and complications I was saying, they're really but... that and lung damage is a potential long-term complication yeah. from covid and i've i had to tell somebody else that i'm like i would much rather get like i said get sick for two days than have long-term complications yeah so kelly <laughs> what, what am i thankful, thankful for? for well i kind of already mentioned it like my husband um he's just been really like so this is finals week for me. Uh, and so, I mean, from the beginning, he's been really supportive of my grad school. But like this week in particular, he's very much like um, we're both gamers and a new season of a game we play usually together started this week. And he was very understanding of like, I, I understand that you can't play it with me. Like, 
it would be great if you could. And so like my big plan is to hopefully like finish my last paper, like tomorrow morning or even maybe Sunday, even though that's like the last day, but like Sunday, cause he has D and D so he'll be mm-hmm. gone, you know? And I'm like, so, you know, maybe this weekend I can play with you. Like, but he was very, very nice. And he's very supportive of like, you know, like, Oh, you know, I understand it's finals week and making sure I'm like getting stuff done and seeing if I need anything. And, just being very, very supportive, even though he's been kind of sick this week, but yeah. he's still like checking in with me and being like, do you need anything? Like, can I help in any way? And it's just been, you know, I really, I really appreciate that support because I know not everyone gets it. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So I just, I appreciate it. I'm and glad I, to I mean, I that. mean, you've been really supportive. Like everyone has been really yeah. supportive, but this week in particular, how dare you pursue your education, right? You bitch. <laughs> Just this week in particular, because I've been with finals, and I basically haven't left my house because of that. Like, yeah, next week will be nice because I have I have one week of that's no right. school. That's right. That's like your spring break or between semesters or something. Yeah, it's yeah. between semesters. But I I I've gotten my syllabus for two of my three class or two of my four technically but one of them is just like a weekend like a single weekend it's a friday set so it was gonna be uh, like a a six-week class for like an hour every week and now because of like the teachers available because all the teachers are actual mental health practitioners yes like they teaching is not their living they yeah teach on the side and so because of the teacher availability, yeah, now it's going to be a full, uh, like nine or not nine, eight, eight to four Friday and Saturday instead. And that the whole class is two solid days. Yep. Man, I don't it's know. Motivational that's... interviewing. It should be really oh, interesting. That's cool. I almost I'm like, don't know if that's worse or better because part of me is like to get it done in two days would be great. But then I'm like, right. I feel like those two days well, would be fucking insane. Depending on how it is. Like, I feel like motivational interviewing, especially if it's a lot of like face to face interaction yeah. with like other students, I feel like maybe it'll be better only two days, you know, like because yeah. you'll get just like everything done. And you'll, you know, but we'll see. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Please like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod. No. (laughs) Kelly's just like, how dare you just expect me to say the same thing that I've been saying for two years? I know. You're funny. No. Twitter at WH <laughs> underscore pod. Our website is whiningabouthistory.com and our email is whiningabouthistory at gmail.com where we would love to hear from you just like like we love hearing from Mama Meg and other people. Send us anything. Tree vaginas, how you're doing today. Your kids' horrif- horrifying reactions to us swearing. Horrifying or, or adorable. adorable. Yeah. yeah. Um, I definitely like feel like I'm not going to stop swearing. No. This is my podcast. We've marked as explicit. But it was like there's a little moment that I'm like, oh. But every time I swear now, I'm like, there's like an extra weight to it where I'm like, oh, shit. Shit. Damn it. There's no weight for me. (laughs) Um, We also have merch at Teespring if you search Whining About Herstory. And we also have Patreon, Whining About Herstory as well. Where you can donate for as little as $1 and see some fun videos and other things. Pictures of Kelly drunk off her ass. Yeah, apparently. Sours. Yep. I'm whoring out my drunk picture for a dollar. Love it. As oh, little as one dollar. We also have a website, whiningaboutherstory.com, that has links to everything. And please rate us five stars wherever you listen. It is easy, it's free, and it is one of the best ways to help get the word out about the podcast. Yep. It tells other people that people like us. Yes. We need those warm fuzzies. We do. 
Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.